The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. The show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and today. The year is 1985, and this is episode 6. This episode finishes the year that was 1985. Last uh, one year, how many uh, songs have you done? Which... About twenty. About twenty. About twenty in a year. Is that a good quota? Yeah, yeah. Not but bad. We haven't heard from you for. No, next year. Next year. In the spring, I think it'll be released. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, before that, uh, of course, you have done uh, the theme for the uh, picture. Uh, Spies like us. interview around uh, the time when you had uh, with a little bit of luck uh, 70 around 80 mm. that around 80 uh, you prepared songs half of the songs before you go uh, into the studio and half of the songs in the album you uh, sort of jam makeup uh, yeah it's different every time this time I wrote some songs with Eric Stewart who used to be in 10 CC yeah and we prepared a few and then uh, made some up as we go along. It's sometimes good to go into the studio and you don't know what you're going to do. And you say, okay, let's just think of something. You know, what, what beat do you fancy? And you start with just a beat and then just build it layer on layer.
going to be released? Uh... It's released or it may escape. May escape. It may escape. We're not sure yet. Mm. British joke, number yeah. one. Number one. <laughs> but uh, we've recorded a lot of tracks and we're going to mix it uh, in the new year. Um, I don't really know which tracks are going to be on the album yet, so I can't really tell you about it. But generally, I think it might be a little, uh, a little harder than what I've been doing. Okay, uh, you finished this album you're working on, and uh, what's your plan ahead? Uh... I, I don't know. At the moment, we're thinking of maybe uh, playing live, yeah, Ma maybe touring. I... Yeah. yeah. I don't know yet, though, because it's early days. You know, we're, uh, first of all, I do the album mm -hmm. and see what I've got. If I've got an album I'm really happy with that I l like to go and play to people, then uh, maybe I'll go out and do some touring. It's about time. Okay. What? Uh, thanks a lot. Well, can't thank you, Paul. Uh, thank you for your time. Yeah. Pleasure. Right. Nice day. Sayonara. Lovely. Konnichiwa. Oss. On November 18th in the UK and November 19th in America, Polygram Records released the album Star Piece by Yoko Ono.
The album is produced by avant-garde jazz, funk, and punk musician and producer Bill Laswell, along with Yoko. Just try to keep finding interesting things from different places. Bill's most commercial credit is his production work and co-writing credit with Herbie Hancock on the song Rocket. The album didn't chart in either the American nor in the UK market. As a matter of fact, it received less than kind reviews. The world is not a very kind place. Although Rolling Stone magazine gave it a somewhat positive spin by saying Starpiece seamlessly fuses artistic daring and accessibility, there can be no denying that this 52-year-old pop star now fully deserves to be reckoned with on our own demanding terms. That's what I like about what I do is because um, nothing is really stationary. I'm like a wind that goes into all different kinds of um, different kinds of space, and that's why life is interesting.
Piece is yes. the name. And what inspired it? Well, it's actually Sean. Um, one day, we were just having dinner with friends, and they were all grown-ups, except Sean. And we were just talking about world affairs. And suddenly, he started saying, oh, the world is terrible, isn't it? It's so terrible, you know? And I just looked at him, and I said, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. I mean, it's not that bad, you know, and all that. And it really sounded so phony, what I was saying, you know? And I thought, well, he's right. It's so bad, and we're not doing anything about it. Calling her, calling her. Uh, Are you listening? Are you listening? Is this a long-distance call? Mommy? Oh, good. You're on too, Sean. Stay on. Something wrong with this. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You sound familiar. You sound like... You sound like me, actually. That's because we condition our vibrations to yours.
also released today in the UK on the Apple label, is the single Jealous Guy backed with Going Down on Love by John Lennon. The single was never released in Lennon's lifetime, but this issue went straight to number one in the UK singles charts. fifth anniversary of her husband's murder approaches and millions of fans remember John, how does she cope with yet another anniversary? I don't know. I just think that, yes, I know what you mean. And many people say, well, I've heard uh, just recently, somebody was saying, well, let's uh, marry off uh, Yoko to a Greek shipping magnet or whatever. <laughs> and uh, so we don't have to keep on this eternal flame, you know. <laughs> Uh, but I do know that many people feel that, well, why is she going on about it, you know? And I think that John was such a, a great friend of mine, aside of everything else. And um, he's not here now to do his own work. So that it's only fair that I would um, keep, try to keep his spirit and music going. Not just for ourselves, the family, but I think his spirit and music uh, were very, very significant for a lot of people, and still is. Hello, what's this? Another former Beatle making news today is Ringo Starr. The success of the audio series for Thomas the Tank Engine was so high that he agreed to narrate 26 additional Thomas adventures. James and the Troublesome Trucks James had not seen the Fact Controller for some time, not since the day when he had nearly lost his red coat and been painted blue instead. That was the time when James had been very naughty. First he had let off steam and sprayed water on the fat controller's new top hat. Then he had run too fast and made a hole in one of the coaches. The driver had to mend the hole with newspaper and a passenger's bootlace. The fat controller had been very angry. Now James was alone in the shed. He was not even allowed out to push coaches and trucks in the yard. At last the Fat Controller arrived and came to see him. I can see that you are sorry, James, he said. 
I hope now that you will be a better engine. You have given me a lot of trouble, said the fat controller. People are laughing at my railway, and I do not like it at all. James said that he was very sorry and promised to be a better engine. The fat controller said, I want you to pull some trucks for me. James was delighted and puffed away. Here are your trucks, James, said Thomas the tank engine. Have you got some bootlaces ready? Thomas ran off laughing. Ho, 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 said the trucks. We want a proper engine, not a red monster. But James took no notice and started as soon as the guard was ready. Come along, come along, he puffed. But the trucks were being naughty. We won't, we won't, they screamed. James took no notice and he pulled the screeching trucks sternly out of the station onto the line. The trucks tried very hard to make James give up, but he still kept on. Sometimes their brakes would slip on and sometimes their axles would run hot. Each time the trouble had to be put right and each time James would start again, but he was not going to let them beat him. Give up, give up, you can't pull us, shouted the trucks. But James puffed on and slowly he pulled them along the line. At last they saw Gordon's Hill. This was the famous place where Gordon, the big proud engine, had once got stuck. Little Edward, one of the tender engines, had had to push Gordon up the hill. As James came nearer to the hill, his driver warned him to be careful and to look out for trouble from the trucks. We'll go fast and get them up the hill before they know it, the driver whispered to James. Don't let them stop you. So James went faster and faster and soon they were halfway up the hill. I'm doing it, I'm doing it, he panted. Will the top ever come? Then with a sudden jerk, it all became much easier. James thought it was over and that he had pulled the trucks to the top of the hill without any trouble. But his driver shut off steam. They've done it again, he said. We've left our tail behind. Look, the last trucks were running backwards down the hill. The coupling had broken, but the guard stopped the trucks and climbed out to warn other engines. That's why it was so easy, said James, as he backed the other trucks carefully down the hill. What silly things trucks are. There might have been an accident. Edward had come along. He offered to help, but James had decided that he was going to pull these trucks by himself. Good, said Edward. Don't let them beat you. James struggled slowly up the hill. He pulled and puffed as hard as he could. After a long time, he finally pulled the trucks to the top. I've done it! I've done it! he cried, and his driver cheered. They reached the station safely, and James was resting in the yard when Edward pulled up. Peep, peep, he whistled. Then James saw the fat controller. He thought that he would be in trouble. But the fat controller was smiling. He had been in Edward's train, and he had seen everything. You've made the most troublesome trucks on the line behave, he said. After that, you deserve to keep your red coat. Meanwhile, over on the west coast of America on November 30th and 31st, 
In Los Angeles, a Beatle mania still lives on, on a much smaller scale, however. Dick Shoemaker has more from the 11th annual Beatle Fest. Thousands of fans attended the two-day Beatle Fest, an opportunity to buy and trade memorabilia, like Beatle books, T-shirts, Beatle posters, records, and teddy bears. We're doing it for 11 years, and uh, everybody, you know, there's still lots of Beatle fans around. One highlight of the convention, a preview of tonight's NBC showing of John and Yoko, A Love Story, and a chance to meet actress Kim Miori, who plays Yoko Ono. We did it in the spirit of, of joy. We really did, and uh, great affection for the people that we were playing. And um, I hope it is received with an open mind and an open heart. Dick Shoemaker, Entertainment Tonight. On Monday, December the 2nd. Unforgettable three-hour world movie premiere. Daddy, what's a beetle? The voice of a generation. Misunderstood. There's no looking back. Betrayed. Don't believe in beetles. It's really old. The intimate story. Yes! We never knew. The time has come, the walrus says. John and Yoko. I love you more. A love story. Oh, I had a wonderful time. Also on December 2nd in the UK, Ringo and Barbara, along with Olivia Harrison, attend Emmanuel's charity fashion parade in London. The BBC One television program Pebble Mill at One is on hand to film the event. The program will air on a future broadcast. Then on December 6th in the UK on BBC One, a dramatic film play titled John Lennon, A Journey in the Life is shown. This one-hour film starring actor Bernard Hill as Lennon takes us on a journey through John's life, using his words against the backdrop of his music. Sometimes you wonder, I mean really wonder. I know we make our own reality and we always have a choice, but how much is preordained? It happened in many forms, Maharishi, you know. People ask me now, what are you doing? And I say, I'm baking bread. And they'd say, ha, 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 you know, what are you really doing? I say, I'm looking after the baby. And they say, no, 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 what else are you doing? I say, are you kidding? There are no secret projects in the basement. What I did in the last 10 years was rediscover that I was John Lennon before the Beatles, you know, and after the Beatles, and so be it. I rediscovered the feelings I used to have as a youngster. Like 
the one that makes you want to paint or write because it's so overwhelming that you want to tell somebody. The next day, December 7th, Paul is seen at the BBC Television Centre live in London on the morning children's television show, Saturday Superstore. Paul took questions from the young studio audience and answered some phone-in questions. Like this one, who asked for a comment on the John Lennon Journey TV show. Well, more questions on the phones. I know those people want to talk to you. Can I grab that one? We have Melissa Hunt. Hello, Melissa. Hello. Where are you calling from? Mansfield. From where? Mansfield. From Mansfield. Mansfield. Alvin Stardust Country. Uh, it is. Uh, Hello. Uh, um, did you watch the John Lennon program last night? Yes, I did. Yes, did you? What did you think of it? Well, actually, I thought it was a little bit incomplete because I think it just showed one side of him. Yeah. Uh, the kind of serious side of him, you know, and it's a rather um, painful side of him. And there was really a lot more to him than that. And he was actually a lot of fun. And he did have a lot more fun than the program showed him having. But uh, I thought Bernard Hill, Yaza, was very good. You know, he's a great actor. So I kind of liked the show, but I thought it was a bit incomplete. Yeah, no one let me watch it because there was some swearing in it. So. And there was a lot of swearing, quite right, too. Yeah. It was too late for you as well. And can you say hello to your mum, please? Because she's... Yeah, what's your mum's name? Kate. Kate? Yeah. Hello, Kate. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for your call. OK, bye-bye. Uh, bye. 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 It was a bit arty, wasn't it, the programme master? It was very yeah. much an art form thing. I think so, you know. It was an interesting thing to try. I like to see stuff about uh, people like John, you know. Obviously, it interests me. Right. But uh, I thought that it could have been a bit more fun. Showed a okay. bit more fun. December 8th, 1985. Memorial services for John Lennon five years after his death. John Lennon was an individual who wore many different hats, a kind of a Renaissance man. We knew him best as Beatle John, but he was also a poet, an author, an outspoken leader of the 60s, a devoted husband and a loving father. A man who touched millions and millions of people. Perhaps it is because he meant so much to so many that John Lennon li lives on five years after his tragic death. And loyal Lennon fans remembered his life and his death in their own special ways today. In a section of Central Park known as Strawberry Fields, dedicated in Lennon's honor, dozens of fans came together. Some stood there in silence, some dropped flowers, some cried, others just listened to music. They all gathered to reflect on the man, the life of a man, who helped shape a generation of American youth. Perhaps a card on a floral bouquet I saw at his funeral five years ago summed up the feelings of so many. It read, John Lennon may no longer be with us in body, but he will always be with us in spirit.
at Friar Park Studios, George works on a new song.
It was around this time in December that a documentary film titled Stand By Me, A Portrait of Julian Lennon had its debut in select theaters. The film, directed by Martin Lewis, chronicles Julian Lennon's first live onstage performances just five months after the release of his first album, The Lot. Yoko, Sean, and Julian attend the first screenings at New York's Carnegie Hall Cinema. Four minutes. All for three and none for one. Let's do it, guys. Let's go.
stand by me. Thank you and good night. Julian Lennon is in the news tonight. Let's have a look. Julian debuted his new home video, Stand By Me, a portrait of Julian Lennon earlier this week at a party in New York City. And MTV Music News has this report. Sean Lennon and Yoko Ono accompany Julian to the premiere of his home video, which combines live footage from his recent U.S. tour with interviews and backstage glimpses. The original idea I had was um, to have a guy follow me around with a camera, you know, just so I could have a personal record of the whole thing, because I wanted to have, I wanted to look back on it myself, you know, and show it to the kids whenever. Along with songs from his Vallad album, Julian performs Stand By Me. It's a rock and roll standard his father recorded a decade ago, all part of the legacy that comes with the name Lennon. I think it takes a very special kind of courage to be John Lennon's son and then decide to make a career as a musician. And I was fascinated by his character and his personality and the resilience within him that said, OK, I want to be a musician, I'm going to do it. And I thought if I could capture that character and the great sense of humour and fun and just the great personality he has, then that's worth doing. Also featured is Julian's version of Day Tripper, the only Beatles song he performs. It was just another one of those ones where I used to learn uh, all the Beatles songs on guitar and I used to play it all the time, you know, plug the electric guitar in and I was away. Overall, it's Julian's sense of humour that comes through. You see it over and over, perhaps when he's reading his uh, first ever live review or when he's uh, kidding around with his friends in the band. There's a great sense of mischievous fun, and I think we can guess where that comes from. I'm glad the humour came across the way it did. You know? Otherwise, it could have been a, a serious film. And when he and his band took their bows to a deafening standing ovation, it was clear in his smile that he knew he'd arrived on his own terms. Isn't that nice? Sun City's Artists United Against Apartheid is coming up. Little Steven and a cast of uh, friends getting together for that. We recorded Bob Geldof and uh, Pete Townsend. I think that we, the West, America and Britain, should impose sanctions. I mean, I know there's a lot of arguments either way. I happen to think we should impose sanctions. And the, I suppose the only sanction that a rock performer can impose is to say, listen, we're not going to come and play, you know, until you do things right. I'll give you a look at that and quite a bit more tonight. We recorded uh, Ringo Starr and his son, Zach. We'll be playing drums together for the first time. It's kind of nice. Ringo had been following the issue ever since they asked the Beatles to play South Africa uh, 20 years ago. The thing to realize is this record is not my record, you know. It started out that way but it has now become everybody's record. As you just heard, Ringo and his son Zach are among the many artists lending their talents in the studio on a song that will shed light on South Africa's apartheid. Jesus. 
The song they are working on is called Sun City and will be out in stores early next year. But for now, on December 9th... Curiouser and curiouser. Ah, but now you're in Looking Glass Land. And everything here is backwards. For two wonderful nights, a world-famous cast brings Lewis Carroll's timeless classics to magical musical life. Off with her head! Monday, December 9th, Irwin Allen's all-new Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, baby! Ringo can be seen on American TV on the CBS network in the musical film... Alice in Wonderland. Young lady, just what is so good about never once being misunderstood? There's far too much accurate communication, and if it continues, I fear for the nation. Nonsense, that's what we're terribly short of Don't you love nonsense? We're getting lethargic from aiming at logic Let's put a stop to that If you don't love nonsense, I'll knock off your hat Nonsense, nonsense, simply can't do without it Burn incense to nonsense and sing us a song about it Let young Master Billy be hopelessly silly until he is blue in the face We must never be brave, tis nonsense will save The blooming human race Oh, my dear. Once I was a real turtle. We went to school in the sea. My teacher was an old turtle. We used to call him Tortoise. But why did you call him Tortoise if he was really a turtle? We called him Tortoise because he taught us. Nonsense, nonsense, simply can't do without it. Burn incense to nonsense and sing us a song about it. Let young Master Billy be hopelessly silly until he is blue in the face. We must never be brave. Just nonsense will save the human race. Absolutely nothing you say makes any sense at all. Oh, that's the nicest compliment I've ever been paid. There's too much sense in the world for me, in my humble opinion. A few days later, on December 11th in London, on the Thames ITV network program This Is Your Life, hosted by Eamon Andrews, Ringo makes a special guest appearance. This episode honors fashion, style, and celebrity photographer, Terry O'Neill. International 
professional photographer, Terry O'Neill. This is your life. treasured wedding photograph which you took at the special request of the bridegroom. Another famous drummer like yourself, you celebrated with him that day and he celebrates with you tonight, Ringo Starr. Hi, Ringo. You know, funny thing, just digressing for a moment, coming here, we were driving from that surprise, and I said to him, do you drive at all? And he said, no, he said, I always put my, my even when I was drumming, he said, I used to go see the drum kit in the bus, he said, and funny, I met Ringo not so long ago, and he said he did the same thing in Liverpool. 20 years ago. <laughs> not buses anymore. No, not buses anymore. Well, we have our own now. <laughs> well, this guy's an How important part of your life, isn't he? What? He's obviously a very close friend of yours. Oh, he's you? real close. What's his name? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's real close. He's a wonderful human being, as Faye said, and everybody's been so kind and nice. And uh, he has uh, great integrity. I remember when... Uh, I'm dying here. Give us a help. <laughs> uh, we were doing Magic Christian with uh, another well-known drummer, Peter Sellers. How are you doing, Pete? And uh, <laughs> Terry was taking the photos and Rachel Welsh was on the set. And in the book you'll see she has this leather outfit on. She's whipping all these slaves and Rachel's not small, you know what I mean? And, and suddenly through this waffle comes out. And nobody has ever seen that photograph. Oh, Terry and I, we have it on us. <laughs> I'm making this up, Eamon, but don't worry. <laughs> Ringo Starr, thank you. I thank you. The show was pre-recorded about a week ago, as Ringo and Barbara were currently en route to South Asia. On December 12th through the 15th, in Kathmandu, Nepal, Ringo and Barbara, along with the comedian Bill Connolly, attend the 1985 World Elephant Polo Championships. It's the most amazing fun. It's really silly. You get excited. How can anybody get excited about playing polo on an elephant, but it's just cracking stuff. The adrenaline pumps around your body. It really does. It's crazy. <laughs> It is a true sport and it's really a tough sport. I mean, it's not for the faint-hearted. When you get out there and a 4,000-pound elephant comes charging at you, wanting the same ball that you're after, which is the size of a normal polo ball, um, it's quite scary. The couple are there to support the British team that was formed by Welsh entertainer Max Boyce and the Cartier chairman, Alan Perrine. The event was filmed for a Welsh TV special titled Max North of Kathmandu. A few days later on December 18th, once again on the ITV program This Is Your Life, hosted by Eamon Andrews, Paul McCartney makes an appearance by way of a taped message honoring fellow Liverpudlian Jerry Marsden 
formerly of the group Jerry and the Pacemakers. Well, Jerry Marsden, this is your life when you were born in Liverpool, September 24th, 1942, and brought up here at 8 Menzies Street in the Dingle. And your house-proud mum there thought well, that you were a trendy dresser from the very start. Now, school is our, is our Lady of Mount Carmel in the Dingle, where, because you have a natural soprano voice, you frequently sing in school concerts and in the church choir. And uh, this group that we're just going to have a look at, you actually beat to number one in the charts. What do you want? With no hard feelings from the Beatles, one of them, in fact, who, although he can't be here tonight, is a special pal who went on to become perhaps the most successful musician of our time. He's taken time out to make a home movie just for you. Paul McCartney. Hello, Jerry. Hello, Pauline. Hello, Eamon Andrews. Hello, folks. How you doing? Jerry, Pauline, Freddie, all the family. And not forget Eamon, of course. Hello, Eamon. How are you doing? All right, all wonderful. <laughs> Remember when we were back in Liverpool there in the very early days and uh, there was a music paper called the Mersey Beat. And there was a poll in that to see who was the most popular group in Liverpool. And of course, we wanted to win it, you wanted to win it, all the groups wanted to win it. So what we did was we went round to all the news agents and we bought up a lot of copies of this <laughs> paper and we took them home to our families. And we'd say, you know, see if we can fill in your uh, favourite group, like hint, hint. Anyway, the trouble was we couldn't find too many of these papers because I think Jerry had been nipping round to these uh, news agents before we had. And it uh, scoffed a lot and he took them all home to his friends. And uh, it was a very close thing in that poll, as you remember, Jerry. But we managed to just pip you. And I think both of us went on to uh, greater things and we had a good laugh on the way. So I'd like to say to you all, have a lovely evening, wonderful time, and uh, all the best from me and mine. And remember, all fairy can rust the mercy. Oh, no. Thank you, Paul McCartney. Did you really buy up all those papers? Yes. Well, my mum did, didn't you, mum? This is the BBC. Right now, Janice Long. BBC Radio 1. Hi, I'm Janice Long. I remember Paul McCartney coming in once and they said to me, oh, you won't get anything more than ten minutes from Paul McCartney, there's no chance. And I said, oh, OK. Anyway, we got that much material, they turned it into the Christmas breakfast show, Christmas Day breakfast show, because uh, he was just wonderful. <laughs> given a chance to meet a megastar and an idol. But a couple of weeks ago, I found myself in that situation when Paul McCartney came into the studio. Do you know, he's almost human. He talked about his family, his life, his music, his hopes, and what he's doing for Christmas. So, just before Christmas, and uh, Christmas for you, I mean, is it like that exciting time of the year? Oh, yeah. It's the same as it's always been, really, you know. It seems to be the time when people get friendly. I can never understand the people who go away for Christmas. I mean, I understand the weather's bad and that, but... I don't fancy the idea of sitting on a beach having Christmas. It doesn't appeal to me at all. I'm, I like to get a fire going, get the telly on. Then spend the whole day opening the presents if you can, if you can make it last. And, uh, with the kids and that, you know, their Christmas, really.
Well, because you and Linda are vegetarian, aren't you? Yeah. What about turkeys? That was one of the difficult things about going veggie. You know, there's this hole in the middle of your plate. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a bit where there's no food, you know, you think, well, it's all very well having all the veg and that, but where's the main bit? So when we first went vegetarian, which was, I don't know, about eight or nine years ago, that was a little bit awkward, you know, so it was down to Linda to sort of fill that. But over the years, she's got really imaginative, you know, and you, you don't notice it. On Christmas, what we do is we have a macaroni turkey. Oh, what? We made it up years ago, you know, because we thought, well, you've got to have a Christmas meal. What it is, it's like macaroni and cheese that Linda makes like the day before. And it kind of slices the second day. It slices much better, girls. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you've left it a day. And uh, so what we do is kind of recook it that second day and baste it all up. So it doesn't actually look like a turkey, but it slices like one. And it, you can put it with the meal, traditional meal of all the other stuff. So we've just got around it, you know, we make our own sort of crazy Christmas meal that looks very like a Christmas meal. This is the BBC. Christmas on the way very shortly. Are you, are you preparing for Christmas at all this year? Yes. yes. Is it a problem for you at Christmas with knowing more and more people? Do you still sit down and write cards? Yes, well, I do it with Linda. You know, you always try and rope the lady in to do the hard work. Mm. Yes, I write uh, the cards, yeah, and do all my shopping. All the traditional stuff? Yes, I think it wouldn't be the same if you didn't. Kind of and you still buy each other a little something. Do you get, do you get funnier presents each year? No, serious, real, oh, real presents. It's got to be real presents, yes, definitely. Do you have any traditions? I'm a, I'm a like, last you know? minute. Really? Kind of fella, yeah. I, I always leap out the last minute, uh, having forgotten all the great ideas I had all year, you know. Do you make a list? No, I just go to a certain place and just go leap around buying everything that I think is good presents, you know. December 25th, and everywhere it's Christmas. Happy Christmas, everybody, and hope you're having a lovely time. And uh, all the best for the new year, peace and prosperity and all of that, and much love. It was Christmas on the island of Sodor. All the engines were working hard. Thomas and Toby were busy carrying people and parcels up and down the branch line. Everyone was happy. Only the coaches, Annie and Clarabel, were complaining. It's always the same before Christmas, they groaned. We feel so full, we feel so full. Oh, come on, said Thomas. Where's your festive spirit? Christmas Day is almost here. By the side of the track was a lonely little cottage with a familiar figure waving to them. It's Mrs. Kindly, whistled Thomas. Peep, peep, happy Christmas. Thomas always felt better for seeing her. Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without Mrs. Kindly. When work was over, Thomas went to see the other engines. All their coats had been polished. Ha, said Gordon, just look at us. Your driver will have to work fast to get you as smart as us. Never mind that, replied Thomas. I've something important to say. Do you realize it's a whole year since Mrs. Kindly saved us from a nasty accident? 
Don't you remember when she was ill in bed and... Yes, of course, interrupted Edward. You told us how she waved her red dressing gown out of her window to warn you about a landslide ahead. And you and Toby gave her presents. Percy joined in and Sir Topham Hatt sent her to Bournemouth to get better. What, said James and Henry together, the rest of us have never thanked her properly. Exactly, said Thomas. So now I think we should all give her a special Christmas party. Everyone was getting very excited. The drivers felt sure that Sir Topham Hatt would agree, as indeed he did. The engines were all busy making plans when silence fell. Sir Topham Hatt had bad news. The weather's changed badly. Mrs. Kindly is snowed up. Toby says he'll help to rescue her. You must help too, Thomas. There's no party unless you do. Thomas hated snow, but he said bravely, I'll try, sir. We must rescue her. We must. There's a good engine. You and Toby will manage splendidly. Thomas charged the snowdrifts fiercely. Sometimes he swept them aside. Sometimes they stuck fast and the men had to loosen them. But at the cutting near the cottage, they could go no further. Look at that, exclaimed Thomas's fireman. Peep, peep, peep. Here we are, whistled Thomas. An answering wave came from an upstairs window. Then they heard a familiar sound. That's Terence, said Thomas. He's come to help too. Sure enough, Terence had a snowplow and was working hard to clear a path to the railway line and safety. At long last, the rescue was complete. Percy took the tired workman home. Terence said goodbye to Mrs. Kindly and promised to take care of her cottage as he watched them all set off. The engines made good time. No more snow had fallen, but the yard was dark. Thomas's heart sank. Suddenly, all the lights went on. What a marvellous sight awaited Mrs. Kindly. Well done, said Sir Topham Hatt. I'm really proud of you all. Mrs. Kindly especially thanked the smaller engines. Thomas and Toby are old friends, she said. And now, Percy, you are my friend too. Percy was very pleased. Three cheers for Mrs. Kindly, he called. Peep, 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 they all whistled. Thomas the tank engine and his friends thought it was the best Christmas ever and Mrs. Kindly could think of nowhere she would rather live than here with them on the island of Sodor. Now I know that Paul and his family will all be together today probably watching us now, probably. Happy Christmas. All of us at TVM wish him and Linda a very, very good day. In fact, uh, just the other day I met Paul and we chatted about Christmas past and present. Paul, well, when you think of Christmas, what do you think of? Pillowcases. Pillowcases? Is that instead of stockings? Yes. Bigger. Well, it's because you're a millionaire, isn't it? You can fill up a pillowcase. This is it. No, this is when I wasn't a, even a penny now. No, yeah. this was just when I was a kid, you know, we used to put out pillowcases instead of stockings. All the kind of stories and all the films had stockings over the mantelpiece. Yeah. We never did that. You should do a pillowcase at the end of the bed God, when you I went to bed. I used to, to do bed. that too. Yeah, we all, I thought I was a bit weird for not doing stockings. 
No, no, you weren't weird. You were one of the people. Yeah, <laughs> we've got something in common. What do you do at home now? We do the same kind of tricks that I used to do that I remember from when I was a kid. Even to sort of silly little things, like in our pillowcases, there was always an orange. <laughs> don't know why. There's always an orange, like, you know, sort of... And a few nuts, yeah. which, you know, took all day to break and stuff. What was your best ever Christmas present? Can you remember? Best ever Christmas present? I think a fort. I once I asked for a fort, you know, kids' oh, forts. Yes. What happened was, I think the forts in the shops were a bit expensive. I think my dad got my Uncle Joe to make one. And he was kind of handy um, with his hands. And, um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he made a fort. And it arrived with a little note, a very shaky little note saying, Dear Paul, I hope you enjoy this, Santa Claus. What about now? I mean, how will you be spending Christmas this year? Um, well, I like actually just getting my feet up in front of the television myself, get a fire on. Um, how early did you get up on Christmas Day? Too early, because it's the kids, you see. Yeah. They, they always want to wanna tell you. They, they want to open them and they want to tell you what they got. And so it's about seven o'clock usually. Mm. In fact, we normally say try not to make it before seven, you know, because they'd be up at four at the young one. But Christmas to me has always been a family thing. Do you ever sit around the piano as a family, uh, and for instance at Christmas, and have a good old sing-song or something? Uh, not normally. Actually, just this year, um, my little boy has started playing a little bit. Really? He's playing Silent Night, straight into Jingle Bells, into Chopsticks. On the piano? Yeah. So I accompany him. <laughs> The mood is right, the spirit's up, we're here tonight, and that's enough. The feelings here that only comes to time of year simply having a wonderful Christmas time simply having a wonderful Christmas time December 31st, 1985, New Year's Eve. Let's go to Dick Clark, who is in Times Square in New York City. Minute and a half to go before 1986 arrives. It all started back in 1904 atop this magnificent landmark building. About a minute left to go, as you can see, coming up on 11.59. And listen to the uh, rising tempo of the crowd. In 20 seconds, and it hits that little white spot at the bottom. The year 1986 will be upon us in just about 10 seconds from now. Once again, for the 14th consecutive year, let's wish you a happy new year.
New Year, everybody. See you in 1986. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the show's As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. You can head to our social media pages. That's Facebook.com slash Yesterday and Today Podcast or Facebook.com slash Third Men. Or you could head to Society6.com slash Kaminsky Family Podcast. That's Society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.